For the past three years, the Science of Reading Star Awards have honored educators who are beacons of light, guiding their classrooms, schools, districts, and most importantly, students through transformations with literacy. Now join us as we honor this year's winners at a special celebration event, which will feature celebrity keynoters and past podcast guests, Mitchell Brookins. Two years ago, one of my students as a school administrator came to me on the playground and he said, Mr. Brookins, I want to be like the other kids. And I said, what do you mean? He said, Mr. Brookins, I want to learn how to read. And Malcolm Mitchell. When I scored a touchdown, they either probably put my name in the newspaper, people probably tell me good job all around town. But when I finished one book, no one ever said anything. So which one am I more likely to repeat? Find out more information and register for the 2024 Science of Reading Star Awards ceremony at amplify.com slash Star Awards celebrations. That's amplify.com slash Star Awards celebration, all one word. Welcome to Science of Reading, the podcast. I'm your host, Susan Lambert. As the reading science movement continues to grow, even during this unprecedented time, it's so important to stay focused on what it takes to develop confident and capable readers. As we've learned, change can happen fast. That makes it even more important to stay connected and learn from each other. The more we learn and listen, the more prepared we'll be to lead. Together, let's voice challenges and take action. Today, we welcome back Tim Shanahan to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the National Reading Panel Report. We're so thankful for Tim's involvement on this panel, a true service to our country. Our conversation today is all about that report, the context of education at the time it was commissioned, what it was like for a member of the panel, and recommendations to keep up on the research. Happy anniversary to the National Reading Panel Report. Enjoy the episode. Well, hello, Tim. Thanks for joining us again. Hi, Susan. It's good to be back. Yeah. um, For those of listeners that didn't hear the season one episode, we'll encourage you to go back and listen to that one where we talk about some content area literacy. But today we're going to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the National Reading Panel Report. 20 years. I'd really love to to pick your brain a little bit about the report, um, why it was commissioned, and 20 years ago seems like a long time ago, so perhaps you can give us a little bit of context of of education at that time. Okay, well, first of all, the the report came out 20 years ago, but the work on it started uh, really a, a bit before that, and so uh, we really have to go back to the 1990s to to think about what was going on and and what was going on was was labeled in the news magazines and such as the reading wars Uh, these were arguments over how to teach reading especially beginning reading and they focused oh the arguments were wide-ranging I mean a lot of people think they were just about things like phonics and they certainly were about phonics but they were also about whether you should use textbooks or or you know whether you had to use uh, you know uh, books written for for children uh, you know just for their pleasure that we were supposed to teach with or 
uh, you know, whether you should even have, you know, direct teaching, whether you should, uh, you know, just sort of follow the kids and, and sort of teach them what they wanted to. So it was a whole, you know, kind of a progressive agenda. And some of it was, was actually quite good and has, has survived in some forms, uh, increased emphasis on, on, on writing, for example, and, and greater emphasis on, on, you know, high quality literature and, and, and children's teaching and so on. And people continue to, to you know, push those agendas pretty hard, but but the this notion of of not a lot of direct instruction and no spelling instruction and no phonics instruction and all that kind of thing uh, really did rankle. Uh, and and what happened was uh, it well in the 1980s, some states, California most prominently, uh, actually mandated uh, that kind of instruction or non-instruction and. Uh, that was, uh, you know, they were very pleased about that until they got the the national uh, assessment data in the early 1990s. Uh, that's when the uh, federal government first started allowing states to be measured, not just the country. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, of the 31 states that volunteered to be measured that year, California came in last. Ooh, ouch. And, and, which shocked People. I mean, it, the reasons why they came in so low certainly was not just due to their whole language framework, but it, it certainly got blamed in, entirely on that. And, and that led to huge arguments and legislative fights. And finally, that it, it got so bad that people's confidence in education and, and in the schools and so on started to drop. Uh, and and so at that point, the federal government did something that they'd done before in medicine and some other fields, but they'd never done in education. They asked for a the appointment of a panel of of scientists to essentially make a determination of fact. They wanted to know what the research had to say. Um, they you know. During the the reading wars, when these arguments were going on, everybody was claiming the research was on their side. Mm. And <laughs> in fact, I remember we went to the first meeting of of the national reading panel, and there was a dinner uh, to open it up, and and uh, somebody from uh, uh, the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development was explaining to us that you know the, the the school people were just being torn apart by these wars that you know everyone who came through was saying the research says the research says and they were all contradicting each other and they didn't know what to do and so our you know our job was not to make recommendations or state our opinions or any of that kind of thing what we were to do was determine what the research actually had to say um I, I, I'm a skeptic, and so I, I, when when we were being told that, I thought, oh, I'm sure that's happening all the time in the schools. Well, about six months later, when we were making our first uh, presentation to the country, you know, of going out and telling what we were working on and how this was going forward, and as often happens at conferences, people queue up at the end and you know talk to talk to you, and the first person to get to me was a gentleman who was an associate superintendent in, for some school district in New York. And, and he's, first thing he said to me was, 
you know, you wouldn't believe everybody who comes here, every consultant, every textbook company, everybody comes to you and says that they've got the research on their side and they're all contradicting each other. It was just exactly what we were being told by the government that, you know, it, it, we really needed to get an official take on, on what does the research actually say. So that, that was the context that we were working in. And it really was true that uh, uh, schools were, in a lot of ways, being taken advantage of by, by the misuse of research. And, and so National Reading Panel was really supposed to remedy some of that and, and get us moving in, in a positive direction again. I think that's really interesting because I think um, the distinction that you make about why the National Reading Panel, that you were not supposed to be giving any recommendations, I think that might be a misconception by folks. Yeah, we were actually prohibited by law uh, from giving recommendations. Um, you know, the one thing we were allowed to recommend was further research. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and we did, but uh, you know that really uh, we we were not to make you know recommendations for what the schools were to do or any of that kind of thing. That was we were really to determine what does the research say works or you know gives a benefit to students, and are the schools you know are these things that schools can actually do? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so in terms then of the folks that made up this this panel. Uh, how, how, how were y'all selected? And specifically you, maybe, what were you doing at the time? Well, in, in this, this law went through in 1997 where they asked for this panel to be, towards the end of 1997, uh, during the, the, the Bill Clinton's uh, second administration. And they asked uh, <clears throat> us to, um, oh, make, <clears throat> they, they, what they wanted was a, a the panel had to, I think, have 15 members, I believe, okay. it had, and it had to include a parent, it had to include a school administrator, it had to include a school teacher, and then the rest were to be scientists. And and the uh, the way that they, they uh, put the panel together is, is initially they called for nominations. And these nominations, you know, they could come from any place, the, the Department of Education, which was part of this. Uh, made recommendations. The National Institute of Child Health and Human Development was part of this. They made recommendations. But recommendations came in from the field as well, from all the big professional organizations and so on. And and there were, I believe, 299 <laughs> nominations. Wow. <laughs> uh, I didn't know at the time, you know, I, I had no idea I was being nominated and I, I didn't know until later even who had nominated me. I was nominated uh, by the international, what was then the International Reading Association. Okay. Uh, the National uh, Reading Conference, which is now the uh, Literacy Research Association, and by the U.S. Department of Education. So I actually had three nominations in the pool. Congratulations. <laughs> I found that out like a year or two later, so I had no idea this was going on. Uh, and, and so, I, you know, at, essentially what happened was once they had all these nominations, the, uh, the, the NICHD and, and the Department of Education literally, you know, sat down and, and kind of negotiated, you know, who, the, who would be invited uh, and they, you know, they put out those invitations and, and uh, uh, you know, I accepted, you know, obviously 14 other people accepted. 
we had our very first meeting in the uh, spring of 1998, and and uh, one member, when he found out what we were really going to do, that it wasn't that we were there just to sort of give our our uh, opinions about things, but that we actually had to analyze the research and and, and do that type of thing. Uh, he resigned and and wasn't replaced, and so okay. so there were it ended up with a panel of 14 people. Wow. I mean, when you think about the amount of work that you had to put into that, what was that experience like for you? Oh, you know, it was, I think that, like I say, uh, you know, one of our members uh, resigned immediately when he saw how much work it was going to be. And I think there probably would have been some others if they'd recognized how much work (laughs) it was going to be. At times uh, when we were together, it was... um, really high anxiety kind of meetings and, sure. and, and, you know, at times, you know, breaking out in anger and so on. Not so much people being angry with each other, but just angry at the sheer amount of work and the the, the time pressures and so on. Um, usually, you know, I, I mentioned that these have been done in medicine. Yeah. When they're done in medicine, you know, something might be coming up that's, uh, you know, coming from, uh, you know, in public that's undermining people's confidence in the medical profession or whatever, or or that the government doesn't know what to do with its money to, you know, to care for people. I I can remember one around that time that there was something called latril that was, uh, you know, the poison and the arsenic in peach pits. Uh, that people were putting forth as a cure for cancer. And, <laughs> you know, it became very popular and people were flying to other countries to get treated with this and so on. So the government stepped in and said, let's let's do that, stu- you know, do that analysis. In medicine, you put together 15 experts on a topic like that and you take the six or seven studies that have been done on it <laughs> and they go to a meeting and they, you know, they've read those studies and they hash out what the findings of them are and they issue their report and it, it's done in a few months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they're, you know, it's extremely important. Uh, but the amount of data is huge. I mean, these studies are very big in medicine. Sure. Uh, but they, you know, they, they there aren't. It's not like oh, there are hundreds of studies. With asking people, tell us what works in reading. You know, there are literally hundreds of thousands of documents, and and while they're not all relevant, you still have to wade through them all. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's not like a, a real specific question like latral does latral cure cancer. Tell us what improves reading. Well, there are all kinds of things that can improve reading. So we had to spend a lot of time just deciding what should we even look at. You know, we can't look at everything. And and so the government thought we would get this done in a few months. Right. And uh, when they found out it was going to take a year, you know, two years, uh, at first, it looked like they were going to back away from it, that they were just going to say, oh, well, we can't do this. And, but they, they decided that it was worth it. And, and uh, we'd done enough work in those first months that they decided uh, to, to have us keep going, and, which we did. And, uh, uh, but, yeah, a lot of pressure, a lot of uh, angst and anger. And, and uh, uh, you know, it was a lot more work than I think anybody expected it to be including the congress Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was it was a lot of uh, a lot of pain yeah two questions on that in hindsight are you glad you went through the experience 
Oh gosh. Uh, yeah, I am overall. Um, you know, there certainly were days when I thought this was a huge mistake. <laughs> Why did I do this? I, you know, one, something that a lot of people don't know about it. I, I remember a few years ago, I got a, an email from somebody in the school district who had read some kind of critique of the panel and he was really, all these years later, and he was really angry about it. And he sent me this article saying, you guys sold out the field of reading, you know, because you found these things that, you know, we disagree with. <laughs> and he was just mad. And I wrote back and, and explained, you know, kind of what we had done. And he wrote back to me right away and said, you were volunteers? And I said, yeah, unpaid volunteers. Well, that's not what I thought happened. I thought you guys, you know, were paid off to. <laughs> oh no, no, that was uh, this was volunteer work. The people were doing service to their uh, to their nation. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there was and and there was no self interest in it. We had to all fill out uh, affidavits about you know giving all of our you know where our money comes from and all that kind of thing. Uh, that if we had perjured ourselves, we could literally go to jail for five years. So there was no, no way that people were going to do that. So this was really uh, volunteer work that we were doing. And, and I, I certainly think it was worthwhile because I, I think it did a few things. I, I certainly think it settled down those arguments for a while, which was certainly good for the schools and good for the children they serve. And we, uh, I think, uh, put research uh, to the center of... Um, uh, a lot of the, the educational discussion and how to use research, I, I think we put that uh, to the center of educational discussions in a healthy way. So I think it turned out to be good for the, the nation. And of course, I learned a lot uh, working with some of the illustrious panel members and doing the work that we had to do. So yeah, it was worth it. But, but there were days I would have probably given it up in a moment. <laughs> Did you... Um... Uh, as the 20th anniversary approached, was it in the back of your mind that you decided, I need to toast to this anniversary or anything or not? <laughs> I, you know, I, I never even thought about it. Men started hearing from uh, journals and, and uh, conferences and so on. People yeah. saying, you know, we want to, you know, mark the, the 20th anniversary. And I kind of thought, wow, yeah, I guess it has been 20 years. <laughs> But you, but you've only aged ten years, right? Oh goodness, there's a picture. I, you know, we, I think at the very first or second meeting, they took pictures of us, and I looked at one of those recently, and I could not believe how young I looked. <laughs> so I, I can't believe they they trusted somebody who looked that young with, with those kinds of judgments and decisions. <laughs> Well, it's interesting that you talk about the the reading wars um, and how the report settled things down for a while. What did you mean by that settled down for a while? Because it sounds like we're almost in the same place now that we were 20 years ago. Yeah, this, these battles really ranged from, say, the, I don't know, about 1987 or right around there to about 2000. And when the National Reading Panel came out, there were, you know, attacks on it almost immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, so the, it, it almost like it pulled the debate over to that, you know, was it okay that there was this panel? Was it, you know, all that kind of stuff. Sure. And uh, what happened was uh, the government 
uh, uh, took actions. They started, you know, funding schools to to do the things that were in the National Reading Panel report. The Title I program started, you know, giving guidance, not just money to the to the school districts and so on. Uh, publishing companies, uh, you know, seeing what was going on, uh, certainly made sure their products were more in line with the, those research findings than than you know what they'd been doing before and so on. And and so the arguments kind of quieted down. The public wasn't, you know, there were still debates within the field, but they weren't spilling out into the public in the way that they had. Mm-hmm. And and schools were actually doing a, a lot of the right things. And, and, and uh, if you look uh, in the, in the 1990s, um, when I, I mentioned those California test scores came out, uh, when that happened, all of a sudden, uh, states started making changes that actually predated the, the findings of the National Reading Panel. There were states that started adopting some of the things that we concluded worked. You know, they started doing that in 1993, 1994. And, and what you see during the 1990s is NAEP scores going up. Uh, as a result of those changes, and then in in the early two thousands, again the federal government then you know puts their pedal to the metal and, and and starts promoting those kinds of policies, and for the next five or six years, you you again you keep seeing those NAEP scores going up, and so from about nineteen ninety one or ninety two through two thousand six. They're pretty steady gains, say, for fourth graders in the United States. They're reading better, uh, you know, just uh, you know, a little bit at a time, but incrementally over that 15-year period, the scores just get better and better. And now over the last 15 years, they've languished. They've, they're not going mm-hmm. down, but they're not going up either. Right. And, and so what's happened over these last few years is you look, people have drifted away from a lot of those recommendations. People are well, those are old fashioned or, you know, that, <laughs> that kind of thing. And, and what's happening is people are starting to go forward on opinions. And, you know, I like these book covers better than those book covers rather than really trying to make thing, sure things are following the research. And that, that's, uh, I think we might be drifting back to the, the wars that we, uh, we thought we had brought to an end. Well, I do hear people say frequently, well, the National Reading Panel report, it's outdated. It doesn't have any relevance to us now. How do you respond to that? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because... Research isn't like, uh, you know, like a, a product that you pick up at the grocery store. It doesn't have a, you know, a, 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 a date <laughs> that you, you, you clear the shelves of it. Oh, expiration date, right? doesn't have that. Oh, expiration <laughs> dates for, for research. The only reason why research uh, would go away is if there are two reasons. One, either new research that, uh, you know, gets you to... Uh, see this in a different way or, or you know, uh, contradicts the original work or something like that. And that happens in science. You know, you've got some findings that go one particular direction and then you figure out how to do those studies better and you find out you, you were wrong. We, we hear all that all the time with mm-hmm. nutrition and safety and so on. And, and you know, so if, if there are new studies that say that those other studies were wrong, that's got to be a major concern. Or sometimes conditions change. 
You know, you, you've been delivering uh, your instruction in a particular way, but there's, you know, maybe the situations that you were delivering it in have, have changed completely. I think of a school district that, you know, maybe, you know, 20 years ago uh, was all, uh, you know, uh, English speaking kids. And now it's, you know, 60%, uh, you know, speaking, uh, you know, another language. Uh, you know, they might have to do a few things differently than they used sure. to. Uh, so those are the only two reasons that, that you would say, well, that's an old study. We can't listen to that. If you look at, at the things that the National Reading Panel found to be effective, there certainly have been more research on, on all of those things. Uh, that research has continued to confirm uh, those findings. They perhaps extended them in some ways, but the note, those basic findings of phonemic awareness and phonics and vocabulary and fluency instruction and, and comprehension instruction, all of those have been, you know, continued to, to appear to be effective. And, and so there's absolutely no reason why someone would, would back away from the National Reading Panel. You, you certainly would perhaps add some findings to it because there have been, you know, new research. You might highlight some aspects of it more than others than you would have uh, uh, in, in 2000. Uh, you know, I think of something like comprehension strategies. You know, the National Reading Panel found, you know, I, I don't know, six or seven strategies that were effective in, in improving kids' uh, reading comprehension. Uh, one that uh, had gotten a lot of study up to that point and was effective was teaching kids to summarize as they read. You know, you read a few pages and then you stop and you sum up. Uh, one of the findings in that list was uh, uh, teaching kids how to use text structure. Well, that one, there's actually been a heck of a lot more research over the last 15 years, and that seems like a more important one than it looked like mm -hmm. back, in, Interesting. back in those days. Uh, so it was on the list before, but you know, you might not have recommended it as, as much as some of the ones that had been studied more. Uh, but, you know, so there are things like that that uh, I guess are changes, but they're not, they're not contradictions of, of, of what we were finding. That's that's interesting. And and when you talk about research, I'm going to uh, segue just a little bit here because we've had this conversation a few times that the current discussion of the current what we call the science of reading, um, we've both heard comments, things like, well, your science isn't my science. And when we talk about science, when it comes to reading and literacy research, what should we be thinking about? How do we, like, I think people want to define that term within the context of, of reading and literacy. How can you help us with that? Okay, well, if we go back to, to the era of 2000 and what we were doing and, you know, the changes in the research, the terminology at that time was, you know, uh, SBRR, scientifically based reading research. Uh, and now we hear the science of reading and, and those terms have somewhat different traditions and, and so on. But essentially what happened in, in 2000 is the law, the federal laws started actually defining what that was and saying what kind of research you needed to have to you know, claim something worked in education. Uh, and the arguments over science of reading have kind of bypassed all that. Uh, and, and so it's not entirely clear what people mean by it. I went and did a, a, a historical analysis uh, it, it, trying to find, you know, where does that term even come from, science of reading? 
uh, because I've got to admit, you know, when we were doing the work we were doing with the National Reading Panel, it, that term never came up. <laughs> never. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so uh, the term actually has a long history. Right now, the reason why people are asking about it and hearing about it is a few years ago, uh, I think three years ago now, roughly, um, uh, Mark Seidenberg, uh, an excellent professor of, of, of psychology at the University of Wisconsin, uh, wrote a wonderful book um, that I would highly recommend. Uh, uh, let's see, it's uh, Reading at the, the Speed, Speed of Sight. Yep, Reading at the Speed of Sight. Yep, Reading yeah. at the Speed of Sight. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great book. Uh, great book, and, and he certainly used the term. And uh, uh, not too long uh, later, uh, there were some radio doc documentaries that got a lot of attention and, and that were well done. And in fact, I, I even you know participated, contributed to in, in some small ways. And the way they were using the term is essentially saying that there are these wonderful basic research studies that have been done in psychology and neurology and fields like that that suggests certain things about how people read and maybe how they learn to read and that schools aren't paying attention to that. And I, I kind of, I, I, <laughs> I resist that a little bit, even though I've said, you know, that, that those good books and good, uh, uh, uh you know, documentaries and so on. Uh, to me, if you're going to prescribe instruction, we ought to be doing the same thing that they do in medicine. Uh, you know, it, we're getting a, a, a wonderful demonstration of that right now with all the stuff about the vaccines and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the fact is, a year ago, uh, the, the scientists were able to, um, uh, you know, map the, the, the DNA of, of the virus. Uh, they knew, all, you know, so they knew things about how it worked. They knew things about what might tip it over. Uh, so they had these wonder. There, there are something like 200 trials going on now for vaccines around the world because of that knowledge. But the, they don't say, well, okay, we see this basic science. We have really good ideas about how this is going to work. Let's let's start treating everybody. <laughs> they don't do that. They go out and they say, we've got to actually try this stuff out and see if it works. Uh, the, when people talk the science of reading, they're not insisting on that step being there. They're saying, gee, we see these patterns of, of how things work, and, and therefore we think phonics instruction would be a really good idea, which is terrific, except the reason I would use phonics in schools is because we've got a large number of studies showing that if you give kids phonics instruction in those early grades, they do better in reading. <laughs> You know, it's nice to know that, you know, there's some neurological reasons why that might be that buttresses the the uh, that instructional research. But instead of a, a science of reading applied to reading instruction, I think we need a science of reading instruction that says that if we're going to run around and say something works, we've actually got to try it. We've got to try it with kids. We've got to show that it works. We've got to replicate those results so that people can trust them. And and that's essentially what the National Reading Panel did. We limited our look to studies that had actually tried the, this instruction out in, in classrooms uh, under experimental conditions. 
so that we were comparing schools that were doing this, classrooms that were doing this with those that weren't. So how would you respond to some of the work, let's just talk about like um, that, that Mark Seidenberg presents in his book, actually supports or extends what what you're talking about in the National Reading Panel in terms of what works in the classroom. Can't, can't we sort of put those two things together or... Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The, but, he, but the distinction I would make is the kind of research that, that uh, Dr. Seidenberg presents can do one of two things for us. It can either make you say, wow, that's brilliant. That's really interesting. I, you know, I think, you know, that suggests to me we should teach in a certain way. Let's come up with a, a program for doing that and let's go give that a try and see if we can make it work, which is essentially it gives you a hypothesis sure, sure. <laughs> that yep. you then yep. have to test. You're not going to use this widely with kids because, you you know, it, as, as brilliant as that research is, it's indirect. It, 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 it gives you inferences about what might work. It doesn't show you what actually works. So that would yeah, be yeah. one purpose for it. A second purpose would be, and it's the one that you're really mentioning, is, you know, we have uh, a ton of studies now on, on, and I'll stay with the, the example of phonics. We have a ton of studies on phonics saying that phonics gives young readers a real leg up in reading. It, it accelerates their progress. They, they either you get fewer kids failing or you get higher average achievement. Good thing to do. Uh, the kind of studies that Seidenberg shares with us tell us why that is. They start to explain why it works, which is terrific yeah. because yeah. it might allow you to improve upon it in, in the future. You know, if you, if, if Gene, you know, maybe if we change this to, you know, fit what he's talking about, we, we, but then that needs to be tested. The, the analogy I would give, and again, I'll stay with medicine for these because I think people know a lot of this stuff. Um, uh, for something like 70 years, uh, doctors, uh, prescribed or recommended something called uh, aspirin. <laughs> uh, they had no idea why it worked. They just knew that it did. <laughs> there were, you know, there were some theories, but they didn't have any idea. By the mid 1980s, they understood what it was that made aspirin work, what its physiological impact on the body was, and all of a sudden they started saying, "Well, gee, that could make it." You know, it, it could do some harm in some cases, and it might not be the best thing to use in these kind of cases. And it, they started to improve their use of aspirin and to limit it to, to certain kinds of cases. And we don't give aspirin to children uh, as much as we did, you know, earlier and so on because of understanding not just that it works, but how it works or why it works. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so Seidenberg is really... Uh, you know, get, given where he enters the picture, yeah. uh, he's telling us why these things work and why we should pay attention to them. But we shouldn't do them because of that kind of research. We should do them because we've actually tried them and found that they're beneficial to kids is what I, is the distinction I'm making. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it sounds to me like an understanding of science in, in the isolated term of what science is would remind us that there's no such thing as it being completely settled, that we need to continue to, you know, look at it differently based on context and based. So we should always be evolving and developing our understanding. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%, which is why the, 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 the one area where the National Reading Panel was allowed to make recommendations was on research. And what we recommended is that there be an ongoing federal effort 
to to update this kind of a report and to collect this kind of information so that schools would always have this available. Uh, they didn't follow our recommendation, and I, I think uh, <laughs> maybe we're starting to reap some of the uh, the you know <laughs> the results of of not doing that. The fact is, we know more than we did. The quality of research has risen over the past twenty years. It's more rigorous now. We're more certain to be right, and so on. Uh, the research studies certainly haven't um, changed the the big picture, but. It certainly has uh, added to what we know. There, there are areas that the National Reading Panel didn't get into that, uh, that it would be beneficial for, for kids if, if uh, you know, there were public summaries of that that you know, had the, essentially the force of law when it comes to educational policy. Uh, so yeah, we, we continue to learn, we continue to refine, and, and at sometimes you, you'll even find that you contradict earlier findings, and that's important too. Yeah. What, uh, what areas do you think, like if you were going to do the National Reading Panel again, what areas do you think would be important to uh, include or change? Well, you know, at the time we... You know, I, I said that we had to figure out what even to study, and, and we actually we spent like an entire day uh, where we had nominated, and I don't remember the number, I'll say 50 different topics to look at. We ended up looking at eight of them, uh, but we, you know, we came up with like 50 topics that we thought would be, uh, you know, worth looking at, and, and we voted multiple times throughout the day trying to, you know, figure out what to come up with. Uh, there were things on that list that I would certainly say, I think at the time, if we looked at them, we would have had findings and, and they'd still be valuable to look at. One of those would be uh, uh, using writing to teach reading. Mm -hmm. Steve Graham has done some wonderful meta, he and his colleagues have done some wonderful meta-analyses on uh, on that. And um it's 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 very very clear that you know adding right into a curriculum in appropriate ways can really have a very positive impact on reading. Uh, the National Reading Panel didn't get into that. Um, you know, just didn't feel like it had the resources or you know or the time to do it, and so we didn't look at that. Uh, you know, so we didn't have a finding on it one way or the other. Mm -hmm. uh, one that we wouldn't have looked at then, wouldn't have even thought to look at, but today I would be recommending it would be uh, the the notion of, of using complex text uh, for generations we've highlight you know we've emphasized this idea of teaching kids at their reading levels uh, research over the last couple of decades has really suggested that that's not a, a terrific way to go say from second grade through 12th grade and uh, uh, you know, but we still hang in there in the schools doing that. And it appears that that's probably holding a lot of kids back, that uh, kids could be reaching higher reading levels. It would require some changes to reading instruction and so on. Um, so I, that would be a, another topic that I would certainly argue for us to, to have gotten into. Um, the National Reading Panel did find some other things that people are making a big deal out of now, but but maybe it just wasn't noticed. Uh, for example, in the reading comprehension strategies category, you know, uh, there were more than 200 studies that were reviewed uh, in that, uh, and they looked at. I mentioned that 
text structure and they looked at summarization. They, at, they looked at self-questioning, but they also looked at uh, strategies that require you to think about what you already know or to you know, try to essentially increase your prior knowledge to prepare. And right now there's a lot of interest in, in the role that knowledge plays in reading comprehension. Uh, so that one, uh, maybe it needs to be highlighted as its own category right. <laughs> rather than as, as you know, one of the strategies for improving reading comprehension. Um, and, and so that, that would be another one. And, and that, let me throw one more down and I'll, sure. I'll shut up. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, and this is really associated with that idea of teaching kids to read harder text. You know, it's, you can't just throw the kids in that text. And so what kinds of instruction make a difference? And I would say that uh, it would be really great if, the, if a new panel would look at the role of teaching kids about language, especially written language. Uh, we did that a little bit with the, the vocabulary findings, um, but also sentence structure, cohesion, text structure I mentioned, which was treated as a strategy, yeah. those kinds of features of text. And, and of course, if you get into things like science text and so on, reading the graphics, reading the charts and tables and things, which, man, a lot of kids have no idea what to do with that material. Yeah. <laughs> so, so instruction in those kinds of areas. And there's research on, on uh, many or all of those. And so getting a, a research review to either tell us that works and that would be beneficial or that looks promising but there aren't enough studies of that which would encourage the research field to to go forward and, and, and maybe look more deeply at some of those things. Mm. Is it disappointing to you that the federal government has not had a continuous effort to bring findings forth like you recommended? Yeah, it, it, it does. The, the government has done, some, the federal government's done some really good things in the research area. Uh, one of the reasons why research has gotten more rigorous and why there are more randomized controlled trials, trying out things in schools and so on is, is their efforts. But they haven't made, a, you know, an equivalent effort to uh, summarize research in, in an authoritative way and, and making sure that that plays some role in, in their their policies. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that's a mistake. And, you know, I'm, obviously I'm focused on, on literacy education, but you can, you can make the same argument across education as, as written as a whole. Um, I, I think the field would really benefit if there were, you know, some kind of ongoing mechanisms uh, for summarizing research the way that there are in medicine. Yeah. So what about keeping up on keeping up on new research and new developments? I mean, like if you're a practitioner, it's a difficult thing to understand where to go to keep up on that. What would you recommend to folks? Yeah, it's, it's you know, given the sheer amount of research that's done, uh, you know, it's it's almost impossible. Uh, I, I certainly would recommend that uh, uh, they they at least try to monitor um, meta-analyses, um, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, where people have uh, pulled together large numbers of studies. Uh, you know, there's one journal, uh, the Review of Education, Educational Research, that's been around now for 70 years uh, that's, you know, only publishes, uh, you know, reviews of research in, in the field of education, so that's not all reading. Uh, but uh, that certainly is a, a source to monitor. Um, 
you know, if, if teachers have access, I guess we all have access to Eric, uh, the you know, educational clearinghouse, you know, even going in, you know, whenever you have a chance every few months or, you know, during your summer vacation or whatever, doing things like, you know, going into Eric and seeing if there were any meta-analyses on reading, you know, conducted in the last six months or year or whatever, uh, would would help. Uh, there are sources, you know, I'll, I'll do a little self-promotion. Uh, there's <laughs> sources like my, my blog, which certainly isn't research and isn't a, uh, you know, isn't refereed or anything like that, but it's certainly... Uh, you know, is aimed at at trying to uh, you know com- convey the you know best uh, research recent research and so on, and I think it's a a trustworthy source, certainly well worth uh, looking at. Shanahan on literacy, uh, so it's it, it's it's very difficult. I think that the federal government could make it. Oh, one one thing that they do that is useful: IES Institute of Education Sciences, which is the research arm of the Department of Education has something called the What Works Clearinghouse. Right. And they publish practice guides. And again, these aren't just on reading, uh, but they've done several on different aspects of literacy. And what they do is they bring together panels of of experts and, and practitioners who are allowed to make any recommendations they want to, research-based or not. But then their research staff goes through and with very rigorously uh, tells you how strong the research evidence is so that you they have a, a kind of a, a point system so you can see if something uh, has a lot of research and you can really trust it or whether it doesn't have, you know, this is what the experts think you should do, but they don't really have any strong evidence on it. Uh, I, those are written for teachers and those I think are very useful. Yeah. I was just reading the one that Graham did on on writing. So they're they're super concise and helpful and synthesize that research really, really well. And they have them on, on foundational skills in reading and reading comprehension and adolescent literacy and, and, and so on. So and, and, and again, and, you know, some of your folks are probably your listeners are probably interested in math and science education and so on. And they, they get into those kinds of issues, too. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. That's good advice. Um, well, as we wrap up. Any advice you have for our listeners as it relates to knowing the science of reading? Um, you know, what I would, I would really recommend is that when uh, people are, are trying to tell you what you should do or how you should teach or what you should teach, I think you need to, to ask some real basic questions about what evidence supports those recommendations. Uh, you know, have, have studies been done on this? Did they actually try this out in classrooms? How similar were the classrooms to the ones that you're teaching in? Uh, you know, if, if there are positive results uh, of a research study, uh, you know, not uh, a lot of times people will claim, you know, that they have some kind of data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, I, I saw one company was was touting that, um, uh, you know, high achieving schools were using their program. <laughs> the, the, the high achieving schools weren't high achieving because they were using the program. <laughs> Essentially, the best endowed districts, the ones with the richest families, were buying this particular product, apparently, which, you know, that's I, I've shared that with teachers, you know, and, and they they get it. They understand that that's baloney. <laughs> no, you know, that stuff uh, isn't real. But you, it, it, it's difficult. But you've got to ask those questions when people are trying to sell you something or tell you something. Uh, you know, do you have evidence that if you do this, 
kids do better? You know, is that, uh, has that evidence been published in a scientific journal? Has it been replicated? Um, you can't necessarily follow up on all that, but raising those questions, I think, will uh, tell you how confident you can be that you should do what it is that people are asking you to do or telling you to do. Well, thank you for that. Great, great advice and great conversation about getting sort of behind the scenes with the National Reading Panel Report 20 years ago. And thank you for your service to the country for doing that work um, that many years ago. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Susan. Good Take to hear from you. Thanks for listening and keep your feedback coming. Want to learn more? Be sure to stay connected by subscribing on your favorite podcast app and join our Facebook discussion group, Science of Reading, the community. And visit Amplify.com to check out all our free literacy events and webinars. Until next time, keep the hope, take action, and stay in touch.